I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Here's our host, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm Mara Carabello here today with Taylor Morgan, filling in for Boyd Matheson. And Taylor, one of the conversations we've been having is about how fast uh, how fast the Utah legislature had has been moving in the first couple of weeks. Notably is Senate Bill 16, which deals with transgender surgery. And it ha- it really flew through. On Saturday, we know that the governor signed the bill. And today we have Lindsay Ernst with us from KSL News Radio, who has been following the response to that, which Looks like you've confirmed a lawsuit. Yeah, we have a little bit of a breaking development here. The uh, National Center for Lesbian Rights and the ACLU both tell me that together they're teaming up and will file a lawsuit against this bill. We are not surprised by that. We kind of knew this would be challenged in the courts, but now we have confirmation that they are indeed filing it. Now, we don't have a suit yet. They haven't filed it yet because uh, this, again, had just happened Saturday. So they are working furiously and they say they're going to bring it as quickly as we can is what they told me, uh, but couldn't kind of elaborate on timeline. Um, obviously, they've got to get all their ducks in a row before they can actually like submit the paperwork, if you will. So, Lindsay, a, a key component seems to be usually a lawsuit sometimes is a little longer in the coming because they want to prove that the, uh, the impact of this law, uh, they want an example of the impact of the law. What are they saying about how quickly um, that they think they can bring a lawsuit to bear? Yeah, well, in my limited law experience, it's like law 101, right? That right. like someone has to be harmed by a law, right? And then if they're harmed by it, they can sue. And so you kind of think that process would take a minute for it to play out. But the, uh, the NCLR argues that the harm is already there on this law. Um, and in fact, uh, they likened it unto juvenile diabetes, where they said if if it was a known condition, a serious life-threatening condition that a youth had, and we were denying, this is their words, medical care for these youth, that would be not okay. That would mm. be something that would be serious. Um, yeah. And the director of the NCLR, uh, Shannon Minter, said that very thing to me in this clip we have. It's just like it is no different than any other serious medical condition, if a child cannot get treatment for a serious medical condition, they will be harmed. They will become sicker. They will become worse. They'll suffer very serious consequences. You know, they, they can it can be life-threatening consequences. And so they argue not only is this a violation of equal protections and is targeting a group, they argue this targets transgender minors, um, but also that it's a serious violation, uh, Minter told me, of parents' rights. Yeah, interesting. I I think it's interesting. And I want to point out Governor Cox's uh, statement, what he said, 
when he signed the bill on Saturday, he put out a statement uh, saying that he thought it was prudent that we pause, quote, these permanent and life-altering treatments for new patients until more and better research can help determine the long-term consequences. So that was his statement. Uh, so this question of harm is going to be pivotal. Yeah, that that really is what the, the crux of this will be. Again, it seems like the lawyers here are already arguing that harm has been caused, right? Where perhaps you could argue on the other side that no one has been impacted by this law yet, but I don't, I'm not a lawyer, so maybe that's not a good <laughs> and argument. I think but. We won't be surprised if it has several uh, legal counts, including, as you said, uh, equal treatment under the law. One thing that should be noted in the passage of this bill is that Ledge Counsel said to the bill sponsors and the executive branch that this was likely subject to congressional lawsuit, or, uh, lawsuits that say it was against the Constitution. Yeah. And and its constitutionality was sort of questioned even uh, uh, with the legislative um, bill draft. And as yeah, as they were crafting it, they were asked whether this opens them up to lawsuits. The bill sponsor just arguing that any legislation that they uh, make up on Capitol Hill can be subject to lawsuits. I think I don't yeah. know if it was on this topic or something else. One lawmaker even said, "If we, you know, don't pass laws because they're subject to the judiciary branch, then we'll never pass anything." Yeah. So, yeah. Well, Lindsay, I I don't know how long you've uh, had the pleasure of being on the Hill twenty four seven this time of year, but. Back in the day, Mara, I know you recall, we used to have these little things attached to bills called constitutional notes. It's true. They were a lot of fun, mm-hmm. uh, but the legislature did away with them. Yeah, we don't have those anymore. So this will be continued to be a topic. I have yet to speak to the reaction from the lawmakers on this. I- I'd be clear that uh, it's just come down in the last like 20 minutes, so I haven't had a chance to get their reaction to this yet. I suspect that they won't be surprised. They they expected litigation, and now we just know that it is coming uh, and Until we see a suit, we can't actually report on what the arguments are, but we get a little preview here from the uh, National Center for Lesbian Rights, who kind of argues that the harm is already there on this Mm, law. Interesting. We will continue to watch this closely. Lindsay Ertz, KSL News Radio reporter, intrepid, eye on the Hill journalist. Lindsay, thank you for keeping us up to date on all of these important bills on the Hill. Thanks, you guys. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Mara, I want to pivot now, and I want to talk about Uh, The often overlooked Wasatch Front Regional Council meeting, Uh, a meeting that is usually uh, quite, how do I say this politely, boring, uh, poorly attended maybe by the public. Uh, This meeting became a swarm of protest and activity last week. Yeah, it sure did. The Wasatch Front Regional Council is responsible for some outlines and some long-term planning on transportation, as its name would indicate. There are several bodies like this throughout the state, but this one, as its name says, again, is the Wasatch Front. What they were proposing as part of actually several components of their planning um, was that they wanted to read in the gondola as part of the public discussion for transportation planning. It should be clear that when they do this, I don't know that they're necessarily saying, it will or will not happen or, you know, but they are confirming that it's sort of 
I think, legit infrastructure, but they're mm-hmm. not necessarily voting an opinion. They're just saying it should be subject to public discussion. As you said, uh, they ended up having a number of visitors at their meeting uh, objecting to having the gondola included in their planning. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, they voted for keeping it in as part of the proposal. I think it, was, um, it wasn't unanimous, but I want to say it was It did appear to, to fall down party lines. Well, there aren't parties, so I'll just That's be clear. That's correct. Um, there, there's no partisan representation on Wasatch Front Regional Council. It does have some right. mayors. Mayors are nonpartisan, but it, I would say that it, it fell down geographic lines. Okay, I fair. would say that um, those who lived closer to the canyon, who see this in their backyard, have been the most resistant to the gondola, and those who live further away, um, and, and it's not in their backyard, uh, uh, have been either more positive or perhaps neutral. So I do think it, it fell. It, this issue has been geographically based. Yeah, yeah, Mara, this is a issue that you and I have had v- numerous conversations sure. about. Uh, it is something that I personally am conflicted on. I I love Little Cottonwood Canyon. I spend a lot of time there. Uh, what I don't like though, Mara, is spending so much time in Little Cottonwood Canyon in my car. I think you tried to get up this weekend, didn't it, you? So I have two boys. I have a 12-year-old and a 7-year-old. They're both on uh, ski teams at Alta. So I have to go oh, up okay. the canyon on Saturdays. It took me five hours, Ooh. Mara, to get from my home in Draper to get them to the Albion Lodge up at Alta for their ski Okay, team. so this was weather or just crowds? Just, well, the canyon was closed for avalanche uh, work by UDOT. The canyon opened at about 8.20 on Saturday morning. I was already there waiting in line, okay, uh, by 7.30. I didn't get up to Alta until almost 1 o'clock. Holy cow. Well, We have to do something different. Well, as, as you know, I am unapologetically pro-gondola. I'm pro-environment. And I'm pro-preservation. I want to make sure that my kids and my grandkids uh, are able to go up the Cottonwood Canyon. And I think having um, sort of a more environmentally friendly system that we can still control if we need to, who visits like we're doing with our great attractions in the South. But it will continue to be a heated issue. Um, and I think what happened, it's with UDOT now. They'll choose their preferred method in spring. So, Taylor, you and I, I'm sure, are going to talk about this in well, the future. We will watch it closely and keep all of you updated, of course. So coming up, we want to keep with um, Janetta Williams from the NAACP. She is going to join us to discuss what the black community, how the black community in Utah is responding to the Tyree Nichols death. Please stay tuned with us on KSL Inside Sources. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. 
follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.